Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. If you are a first-time listener, thank you for your support. We appreciate it here at Lockdown Winnipeg Jets and at the Lockdown Podcast Network. If you enjoyed tonight's show, be sure to subscribe on Megaphone, Apple, Google, and Spotify. You can also follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and on our podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. On tonight's show, we'll be talking about a couple of different things, including the Mike Babcock dismissal from last week, uh, Paul Maurice's take on Babcock's dismissal, uh, the emerging Bill Peters situation, a brief overview of some of tonight's hockey games, and a call for Wednesday's mailbag. If you have any thoughts on what you hear tonight, please be sure to hit me at my Twitter handle or reach out to the uh, Locked on Jets podcast Twitter as well. Your commentary might just be featured on our next show, so stay tuned. Our first order of business today is to talk about the Mike Babcock firing, which occurred last week. Uh, and Mike Babcock was dismissed by the Toronto Maple Leafs after uh, Toronto had a really, really rough start to the season. I'd say that Mike Babcock's firing has probably been on the works for some time. I think um, I think he had a very different vision of this team versus what Kyle Dubas is probably pushing for. Toronto's additional playoff failures and issues probably didn't give Babcock much support, and so the team decided to part ways last week. I normally wouldn't cover Toronto Maple Leafs news here on Locked on Jets, but I think this warrants a special attention because of what happened after Mike Babcock was fired. The first surprising thing that broke was that there was a story about um, Mike Babcock asking one of his rookies to essentially rank the hardest working players and the least working players on the team. Anyone who's ever worked in management probably recognizes the inherent danger in Babcock asking a rookie to do this. It certainly overstepped several boundaries, and I think it's obvious that this wasn't helping the locker room feel comfortable um, working under Babcock's tutelage. I think the worst part was that he actually shared the results of this survey with members of the team that were uh, viewed as having the lowest work ethic. Calling out players who you feel should be putting in more effort is one thing. I think that's fine, especially for a head coach to be doing this. But I think that the way that Babcock went about this was all wrong. Asking a rookie to do this and, and rank players on this team, that's definitely inappropriate, and it wouldn't be allowed in any other business line. One of the Winnipeg beat reporters asked a former Leafs coach Paul Maurice how he felt about this, and I feel like his answer was actually kind of interesting. You can find the full quote uh, from Scott Billick, at Scott Billick, on Twitter, uh, but Paul Maurice basically said that he felt the Jets in particular had some had some growing to do. Um, last year was a bit of a rough season for Winnipeg, and uh, his treatment of the players apparently did change at some point. I think it's no secret that guys like Patrick Laine and some of the other kids were really, really struggling uh, at various points. I mean, Laine had one of the worst seasons uh, of his young career. I'm sure Patrick felt a lot of pressure from both himself and the coaching staff. Uh, the funny thing is, uh, Maurice said that you wouldn't guess the player, but apparently... Blake Wheeler approached him at one point and said that you, you should just be nice to the guy. And that could be anyone on this team. It could be Patrick Laine, it could be Jack Roslevic, it could be Kyle Connor, it could be Nick Ehlers. There are so many candidates for who this could be referring to. I think what is interesting to note is that Paul Maurice kind of uh, accepted that the, the league has changed and the way that you have to treat your players has also changed. I think that he's a little more uh, reconciliatory than he was before. I still think Maurice has some of the same tendencies in the way that he deploys players and the way that he handles some of the guys from the AHL squad that he used to, um, and he's definitely somebody who has a tough love side to him. That said, I, I did feel like he was basically saying Babcock was probably in the wrong here and that he didn't agree with Babcock's particular methodology. In so many words, he didn't publicly call Mike out, but I got the sense that he was saying, you can't do this kind of thing anymore, you have to take a different tact, and I think that the way that you talk to your players is very important when you're dealing with them. 
implicitly he's suggesting that if you keep barking and yelling at them all the time or or treating them in an abusive manner, they're just not going to respond to you. This is probably sounding like common sense stuff, but I think based on what we've heard about the NHL and the way that some of these guys uh, coach their players, it really isn't as common sense as you would hope it is. So I feel like this quote from Maurice is a little bit better than I was expecting. It's still a bit away from what you would hope. You kind of get the sense that Maurice is holding back a bit here. But this is a better response. This is a more complete answer than I was anticipating. Maurice is a man of few words under most circumstances, so not bad. It kind of feels like the end of his quote was a little bit needless. I I know that he was trying to avoid throwing Babcock under the bus, but he basically said that there's going to be a list of guys who don't like the way that you treat them or talk to them. And I feel like that part maybe misses the point a bit, but I'm sure he's trying not to completely torch Babcock for this. I'm sure they're friends. I'm sure they talk a lot, and I'm sure that this is not an atypical scenario in the NHL. What is kind of funny is just how many former players were were absolutely lighting into Babcock after he got fired. Uh, Mike Commodore immediately went on a Twitter rant and said that he basically deserved to be fired, which, you know, not surprising. Commodore and and Babcock are are well-known adversaries. A lot of guys who played in Detroit were also saying that, you know, Babcock wasn't the best coach, he wasn't the nicest guy, so they weren't surprised by this firing, they weren't surprised by the story about the rookie, you kind of get the idea here. All in all, I feel like this just kind of goes to show you how far hockey culture has to go before it really evolves. I mean, we're still having this conversation and it's 2019. Hockey's been around forever, and yet the way that coaches and staff treat their players, both at the professional level and at the junior level, uh, still really isn't where it should be. This won't be the first time that you hear of stuff like this. This certainly won't be the last, and I'm sure every time somebody gets fired, there will be questions asked about how were they with their players? How were they with their staff? Was there you know, a back-end reason why they were removed from office? Was it just because of their on-ice performance? Kind of hard to say. What this situation does show is that the NHL has a lot of growing to do, and I think that the league as a whole and, and the sport as a whole really needs to take a hard look at itself and say, is what we're doing acceptable? Is the way that we're doing things really conscionable? Or do we need to change things? I think Maurice is cognizant of this fact, and in his answer, I felt like he actually addressed this point um, by saying that you know maybe the thing, the way things were done previously, isn't acceptable by today's standards, and not just because everyone's softer, but just because this is like a human relations issue. And I feel like coaches in the NHL and at all levels of hockey need to be taught some of the basic principles of this stuff. People spend decades learning how to manage others, um, and when you're asking professional and and junior coaches to do this. It's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, in a lot of respects, these coaches may not have a great understanding of how to deal with people at a very human level and at a personal level, which could create many complications when you're trying to manage them on the ice. And at the end of the day, people are people. They're going to have disagreements on how things are handled and and how things are run, so you're going to have conflict. It's a natural part of the process. I think a, a focal point going forward is how coaches respond to this conflict and adversity, and I feel like there should probably be more training sessions in how they handle it. Maybe the way that they've been taught thus far is not sufficient for, for what's going to happen in the future. That said, the Mike Babcock firing definitely has nothing on our next topic, uh, which is the Akeem Alou and Bill Peters situation. But before we get to that, please enjoy a quick message from our sponsors. Welcome back. As I mentioned before the break, we're going to be diving into the Bill Peters situation, uh, which has emerged over the last 24 hours or so. It all started with a quick tweet from Akeem Alou about a protege of Mike Babcock's who he felt had committed offenses similar in nature to what Babcock had done. What I don't think anyone was prepared for was the nature of the allegations. Basically, the story goes is that 
Uh, Alou was subjected to the N-word several times while playing in the AHL for the Rockford Icehogs during the 2009-2010 season. I should note that he never actually calls out Bill Peters explicitly in the tweets, but Peters was the head coach of the Icehogs during the time of the alleged incident. Some might suggest that this is just the word of one person, but two former teammates of Alou's during the Icehogs era also corroborated the same story. Though the usage of the N-word was actually in reference to Alou's music uh, rather than Alou himself, it's still inexcusable, and there's no context under which there would be acceptable usage of this language. Things continued to get worse for Peters after Michael Yordan, one of the former Carolina Hurricanes players, tweeted publicly that he'd been kicked in the back during a game because Peters was angry at him for something. He also said that Peters had physically abused another player by punching him in the head or in the helmet. And apparently this may not have been an isolated incident. A reporter from ABC 11 indicated that a source within the Carolina Hurricanes organization said that the players at the time um, had approached Ron Francis, who was the GM, about Peters' behavior behind the bench. But as you can tell, nothing was done because Bill Peters remained the coach for the remainder of his tenure until Tom Dundon took over the team. There's not a whole lot that's publicly known about this situation, but the basic testimony that we've been provided and the corroboration by Alou's teammates definitely doesn't paint Peters in a good light at all. And as of earlier today, Peters is no longer going to be coaching, at least for the Buffalo game that they have tomorrow. A number of sources closer to the situation believe that at this point the Flames are just waiting for the legalese and the contract information to finish before they actually finalize Peters' firing. Naturally, there are a lot of questions that are going to come out of this, but I think the first thing is, how many people actually knew that this was an ongoing situation? And if there were a lot of people who knew about it, especially in upper levels of management, why wasn't anything done about it? I'd imagine that the Flames probably didn't know about this, but GMs are smart people, they probably have a lot of inside sources, and they've worked with a lot of these coaches and stuff for years. To also get word from the actual players themselves suggests that this was not exactly uh, hidden knowledge. And assuming the worst, that this was actually public knowledge, at least within the NHL domain, and that the hiring went forward suggests that there may be some uh, further repercussions to come from this. I don't like to be the cynical one, but you have to ask how much, you know, Brad Treveling of the Flames actually knew about the situation. And if he knew what Peters had done, and what he said, and how he was behaving in, the, in and out of the locker room, why was he hired in the first place? At this point, this is still conjecture, so I don't want to say too much. Uh, but I think there are going to be a lot of questions that need to be answered, both by the Flames, by Peters himself, uh, and by the NHL at large. Unfortunately, I'd wager to guess that this is probably not the first time something like this has happened, and it definitely won't be the last time. Even though people will say, well, you know, that happened several years ago, people still have to answer for the, for the things that they've done. You know, your consequences aren't just going to go away because they happened a decade ago or more. At some point, these things do catch up to you. And, you know, traditionally, NHL players have had a limited say in what's going on. But as more guys get braver and braver and start to take more risks and, you know, maybe they've moved on from their current teams so they don't feel the pressure of getting sent down or demoted like Alou was, maybe they'll start to speak up a bit more. The NHL is a notoriously closeted, quiet league. I mean, they bury a lot of stuff that you don't hear about. And so for this kind of scandal to now break out, especially with former players, I think that it's going to potentially open the floodgates to more testimonies from, from you know either existing or former players who feel that something has to change, something has to be done, things can't continue on as they are. In the immediate future, I would at least expect uh, Bill Peters to be relieved of duty within the next couple of days, if not tomorrow. At this point, I mean, the situation is so bad, and there are so many people now involved in testifying to the issues that Peters has been alleged to have committed, 
that, I mean, there's nothing the flames can do. They kind of have to fire him now, and this is probably best for all parties involved. There will probably be a, a lot of people who will say, you know, Peter shouldn't be fired from the testimony of a, a handful of people, but by the same token, he's a representative of a private organization. At some point, you can't just sit back and allow these allegations to continue without taking action, uh, especially for the nature of the allegations that have been levied against Peter's. From a very pragmatic sense, you know, the Flames do have to commit to this action and fire him. But from a moral perspective, I mean, this is sort of important. They need to show that this sort of uninclusive, divisive language should never be used, and the abusive behavior that Peters is alleged to have engaged in also can't be tolerated. This doesn't have a place in the NHL, and it most certainly doesn't have a place in Calgary. If we start hearing more reports from players and organizations about the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, I do think that the NHL needs to start thoroughly investigating these claims and make a, a public statement. If it's as widespread as I worry it is, this could blow up into a much bigger PR fiasco, and I think the NHL has a moral obligation to take a stand and do something about it. This league has traditionally been something of an old boys club, and a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes gets covered up, but uh, this is one of those situations where there's no going back now. It is a bit tragic that it got to this point. Alou basically said that, in many respects, Peter's kind of ruined his career, and you can't get that time back, you can't get that history back, but at least some modicum of justice can be done. I think at this point, you know, we're all sitting and waiting to see how the Flames react. Bill Peters' camp hasn't said anything about this, uh, which to me says like they're, they're essentially waiting for the axe to fall as well. So we're all at this point kind of in a, a holding pattern, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of think pieces and talk shows that, that discuss this issue. But at least until tomorrow, we're going to have to sit and wait to see how this all plays out. In the meantime, there actually was some NHL action going on in the background, and we'll talk about at least one of the games that actually impacts the Jets uh, right after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for sticking around to our last segment, where we'll cover tonight's NHL action and current standings updates. Our first game to cover is Montreal versus Boston, and Boston more or less routed the Habs 8-1 on the road, with Pasternak netting a hat-trick. It is now Boston's 16th win on the year, their record is 16-3-5, which is good for 37 points and is tied for first in the league, uh, sitting at the top with the Washington Capitals. Year in and year out, Bruce Cassidy continues to make this Boston Bruins team shine, and I don't really see that changing. They aren't as good as they were in previous seasons, but they're still sporting a plus-30 goal differential, so... Hard to argue with those results. The Canadians, meanwhile, slipped to 11-8-5, good for 27 points. They're still third in their division, so it's not really a big loss, but, you know, obviously losing 8-1 is pretty embarrassing, especially on home ice. Montreal also doesn't have a whole lot of room to breathe because the Tampa Bay Lightning and Toronto Maple Leafs are right behind them in the standings, and it looks like Tampa Bay has several games in hand on them. The Atlantic Division playoff seeding race is going to be a little bit tight, especially as we get into the, uh, the winter months here. Tonight's second game was the Minnesota Wild visiting the New Jersey Devils at the Prudential Center. This was a much closer affair, and neither the Wild nor the Devils are particularly great teams, so as you can expect, pretty close game. Kapokakinen made his debut in net for the Minnesota Wild and made 32 saves. Parise, Suter, and Greenway led the scoring in Minnesota's 3-2 win over the Devils. Both teams are in no small amount of trouble, but the Devils especially are falling well below expectations. Right now, New Jersey is 11-8-4 on the season, which is very, very, very bad. They're on lotto pick territory again. Uh, they're only third from the bottom, and they are three points ahead of last place Detroit. For a Devil squad that ended up picking up P.K. Subban and wanted to essentially prove to Taylor Hall that they're a serious contender, this start to the season has to be something of a real gut check for the team. I think uh, head coach John Hines has to be on the hot seat. I don't think a head coaching change is going to make a huge difference, but it's probably going to get them at least out of the bottom three. 
with Taylor Hall hitting free agency soon, this is definitely not the way that you wanted to start the season. And if it continues, at some point there's going to have to be questions about who stays and who goes on this roster. Minnesota honestly isn't in a much better position themselves. They're in 27th, and they definitely haven't shown that they're even close to their playoff aspirations. This team is a far cry from what it used to be, and it's definitely aged out. I also am not really sure what direction the current GM is taking the team. Suffice it to say, the Wild have a lot of work to do. And then we have the final game of the evening, which holds the most standings relevance to the Jets. Uh, The Stars were visiting the Chicago Blackhawks, um, and the Blackhawks definitely aren't that great of a team at this point. The Hawks, to their credit, actually put on a pretty decent show, uh, though the Stars definitely got a lot of net front chances. Corey Crawford made a 32-save shutout, which is looking pretty spiffy at this point. The Hawks were on a three-game losing streak, so pulling off a nice home victory against the Dallas Stars is no easy task. The Jets currently trail the Stars by three points in the standings, but have two games in hand. If all goes well on the Pacific trip, Winnipeg has an opportunity to leapfrog the Dallas Stars as soon as this coming Saturday. If the Jets can actually make that jump and leapfrog the Stars, that'd be really great heading into the first week of December, where they'll have that home-and-home against Dallas on on the December 3rd and December 5th. Dallas will be playing the division leaders in the St. Louis Blues on this coming Friday, so I don't know really who to root for, I guess. I guess we're hoping for the Dallas Stars to pull off a win. I wouldn't say I'm all that impressed with the way the St. Louis Blues have been playing as of late, but they're still a tough team, and they still have enough talent to put Dallas in a really deep spot. After the tougher home-and-home against the Dallas Stars, Winnipeg will have a nicer matchup set against the Anaheim Ducks and the Detroit Red Wings twice in the same week. I won't say that playing against the last team in the league is an easy matchup, but it definitely gives the Jets an opportunity to take at least three or four points out of these two games. The Jets will also have visitations and trips to see the St. Louis Blues, Colorado Avalanche, and the Minnesota Wild later in December. So it'd be nice if they can kind of come into next month with a decent winning record and a, a little bit of a better standings position than they are in right now. I indicated in my last podcast that I felt that the Jets are closer to a 500 team than they are, you know, above 500. And I think that's going to hold true during the, you know, the month of December. They have a lot of really tough games, generally speaking, but at least a lot of them are at home. That said, I'm not holding my breath that they're going to come out on the winning end of these things. I mean, this is a tough schedule, um, and they have some pretty decent teams coming through. I think that their game against the Carolina Hurricanes could be a really big litmus test for the Jets. If the Jets come out above 500 after a a pretty tough December schedule and walk into Christmas, you know, maybe second in the division, I think that's a pretty pretty good goal. I definitely don't think it will be easy, and I don't think it's all that likely, but... Winnipeg sitting in second would help them a lot during their playoff push through the uh, January and February months. Looking at the rest of the NHL, I think the division that stands out the most right now is definitely the Metro Division. It's incredibly stacked right now. We've got the Washington Capitals, Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Islanders, and Carolina Hurricanes all playing phenomenal hockey. If the current trend holds, I do think that the uh, the couple eventually come out of the Metro Division. Living near DC, I'd, I'd be 100% on board with the Caps winning yet another cup, um, but I definitely don't want to see Pittsburgh hoisting it again either. I do think it would be kind of poetic if if somehow the New York Islanders managed to win the cup this year. You know, Trotz wins the cup in Washington, uh, decides to leave in free agency, goes to the Islanders, and essentially overhauls the way the team plays, especially on the defensive end of things. I don't think the Isles are actually good enough to win the cup this year, but they could definitely surprise. I mean, they had like an insane winning streak going on for several weeks, so hard to say where that team's going to end up. The Bruins could certainly challenge for the cup out of the Atlantic Division, uh, and they're definitely the front runners. I don't think anyone else in the Atlantic Division is all that good. Uh, I think the Habs are a fun team at times, but I think they still need a few more pieces before I put them on par with the Bruins. I could talk about the Western Conference, but I really don't want to admit that the Oilers are somehow 16-7-3, even though I just did. 
I'm not really sure what's going on with the Oilers. I mean, they're not that great of a team. I think goaltending is definitely masking some of their bigger issues. And at some point, I think Mike Smith is going to regress. But for now, I'm sure Oilers fans are very happy to be first in the Pacific Division. Maybe something really comedic happens and the Oilers finally win a cup under the McDavid regime. That'd be absolutely hysterical, uh, but it also proved that, you know, hockey is an incredibly weird sport and sometimes you just need a, a run of really good fortune. That does it overall for our standings updates. Uh, before we close out, I just wanted to let you know that we will have a Mailbag Wednesday segment, so be sure to submit your questions either to me at HLLivingLoco on Twitter or to our official podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Don't ask me anything weird because I'm definitely not going to answer anything weird. But if you have any general questions about the Winnipeg Jets, about the NHL, or about anything I talked about tonight, please feel free to hit us up. For you NFL fans who are followers of Winnipeg Jets hockey, I also highly recommend that you check in on the Lamar Jackson show. As a Baltimore Ravens fan, I've never seen anyone this much fun to watch. I am not a big football fan these days, but I definitely tune in every time Lamar steps on the field. He's probably one of the most dynamic athletes I've ever seen, and he kind of reminds me in some ways of the way McDavid just takes over a game. Watching the Lamar Jackson experience is something truly special, and I highly recommend you check it out. Even those of you who aren't uh, diehard NFL fans will probably be impressed by the way that he can command the field and take over games completely. If nothing else, he has at least one crazy highlight reel play per game, and I guarantee you, you'll see more than one in each game that you watch. Watching the Baltimore Ravens is definitely a nice break in between the uh, grind of the NHL season, and I've had a lot of fun watching the Ravens evolve from a team that really struggled to do much of anything on the ground to becoming one of the most dominant offenses in the NFL. I get this kind of weird sense that Lamar Jackson is going to change so much for the NFL, and I'm really excited to see where his career takes him. He is nothing if not outstanding and fun to watch. He's also apparently a super nice guy, so he's easy to root for. With that brief off-topic segment out of the way, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening, and I hope you guys had a great time. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on Twitter and subscribe on your platform of choice. Thanks again, and go Jets go!